0: so good to see you this morning. If you're watching online at our 9 a.m. service, or 11, we're so excited to have you here as well. Please connect to the online host if you need to. Let's worship the Lord. Just one word, you
1: calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven And just one touch My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that a God can't do There's not a mountain that he can't move. Oh, praise the name That makes a. That a God can't do. And just one word, you heal what's broken inside me. And just one word, and you revive every dream. And just one touch, I feel the power of faith. We're open to see My heart can't help but Let's paint the rise let all agree there's no power like the flower of you gives up, never runs out on me, and your love never fails, it never gives up, never runs out on me, your love. Titus 2, 11 through
2: 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary You, the perfect holy one Crush your son Who drank the bitter cup Reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus' name.
0: Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We pray a blessing over Pastor Rich as he brings your message. We pray that you would just speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. God, we just thank you for what you're doing here at Springbrook. We thank you for the lives that you've given us and the grace that you've shown. We pray all this in your name. Amen. You Maybe seated. Thank you.
3: Springbrook we are so glad that you are with us this morning if you're watching online uh, we're glad that you are uh, with us as well I know our online host has a uh, broken right arm he's typing with his left arm (laughs) and so shout out to Logan appreciate your uh, serving uh, with your good with your good hand And uh, if you're interested in being an online host or you want to help serve on that team, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. But, hey, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're in person with us uh, today, you've got a connection card in your uh, seat there. And so you can uh, take a moment to fill that out. Let us know you were here. Uh, If you're watching online, uh, just be sure to say uh, hello in the chat. Um, If we can pray for you and you're online, you can click that prayer request button. If Logan gets backed up a little bit, though, you can also always text PRAYER. Uh, to that phone number on your screen. Uh, you can scan that QR code to let us know that you were here with us this morning. Uh, be sure to check out our website. We've got a lot of exciting uh, opportunities coming up as we head into the fall. In fact, um, we have our uh, uh, Springbrook Fall Fest coming up on the 28th, just two weeks uh, from now. And so we, have, uh, <laughs> so we have we have, a lot of you have signed up for chili. <laughs> <laughs> And we've got some fun games. (laughs) Good job, Phil. (laughs) So we've got a big top tent, and we've got uh, a bouncy house, and we're going to be playing uh, Chicken Marco Polo. Which the kids absolutely had a blast with last weekend. It was fun. Uh, Phil uh, introduced that idea last weekend, and I saw some pictures and some videos of them playing uh, Chicken Marco Polo in the gym. They had a blast, it was a lot of fun. So, for our uh, fall festival, we've got a lot of games uh, that you can uh, play. We've got uh, the big tent, we've got the bouncer, we have a chili cook off. I know many of you have already signed up for the chili. Uh, but uh, you can mark your calendars now. In fact, um, we've got some uh, invite cards, some postcards out in the lobby. If you like, you could take one of those with you. It's a great opportunity to uh, pass on an invitation to a friend, a family member, uh, family member, maybe a neighbor, and at the same time you can invite them to our marriage date night. This invitation has both events uh, coming up on it, and so you, it's a great invitation for either the uh, fall festival or uh, marriage date night. Um, tickets are in sale out in the lobby. Um, this afternoon. You can pick one up uh, without paying the um, transaction fee, so they're a little bit cheaper here. You can buy them online. If you are a first responder uh, in our community, we've got some uh, uh, reduced ticket pricing for you on our website, so be sure to check out that website. It is going to be a great event. It's a regional event. We're expecting over 200 people uh, from our community. It's a great outreach. We have an opportunity to connect with many new families uh, through uh, this event. So be praying for uh, that as we head towards uh, November, and uh, mark your calendars uh, for that. And then I also wanted to let you know that in uh, two weeks, also on the 29th, we have our uh, baptism service coming up. So we have two people that are going to be getting baptized. And so if you have questions about baptism, if that's your next step, we'd love the opportunity to celebrate um, that with you. We're also doing a child dedication on that weekend as well. So uh, we'll have an exciting weekend for that. If you've got any questions about baptism or child dedication, um, please uh, let us know. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you. So we're in a series. uh, It's called Trite not true and we're looking at various statements that get thrown around uh, but we need to be careful how we use them and so this series uh, is not just about um, the expressions or about the different topics through this series uh, we're looking topically at some things that get thrown around some of them are maybe you've heard of some of them you haven't um, today's topic I've actually heard love the sinner and hate the sin I actually hear that one a lot I heard that last week uh, outside of the topic but this series is more than just about the topic. It's about how Scripture, and I love the word, collides with our fallen and broken world. What we're talking about are things that, phrases that we use, maybe things that we hear in our community um, that sound like they might be true. They have a ring of truth to them, but we really need to evaluate them. And we're looking at what Scripture has to say. About these various topics, and so it really is a series about how the Bible really collides with our fallen and broken world, and how, and what our role is in that. And um, this was also an opportunity for us to introduce to our church at a, on, a, on a church-wide scale, um, utilizing our resource right now, media. I know we have over 200 people that have signed up for that resource, and so our small groups are working through uh, that material. I know many of you, even if you're not in a small group, have signed up and you're working through the study, and so. Uh, good job for doing that. We've got uh, some more workbooks, I think, out in the uh, in the atrium at the uh, Ministry Center counter if you'd like to go through this series uh, and you're not in a small group. Uh, but I would encourage you to utilize that right now media resource. That's a resource that we purchased at Springbrook uh, to enable um, our congregation to engage uh, with studies that are relevant to their lives. And so you can study on various topics. There's Bible studies. There's videos you can watch. There's devotions. One-third of our, almost almost a quarter of our, you know, one-third of our viewership is actually parents that are using that material for the kids. And so there's a material on there for your kids. It is just a great resource. And so hopefully through this series, you've gotten comfortable with what Right Now Media offers. And so we hope that you have uh, enjoyed that resource. Today's expression is, love the sinner and hate the sin. And that came up in two separate conversations I had this past week with somebody apart from the sermon preparation. It has a common phrase and so that's one of those that I've no, I've heard. I'm sure many of you uh, have heard that as well. Uh, it sounds good but there are two immediate problems with that expression. The first one is is that when you say love the sinner and hate the sin, when you say that it's not a loving thing to say. <laughs> it, it negatively affects how we view people and how we treat people. And so it, it's not loving. It negatively affects how people feel about us in the conversation. A negative expression always offsets a positive expression. Let me give you an example. I am so sorry that I got angry with you last week, but it was your fault. <laughs> it doesn't, it just kind of like the apologies went out the window, didn't it? And have you ever heard the uh, expression uh, uh, "bless their little heart"? You know, he that kid is just not very smart. Bless his little heart. <laughs> that dog is just so ugly. Bless his little heart. <laughs> and so, the negative and the positive expressions they they wash each other out. And so, when we use statements like that, they they're just they're not loving. And in the same way, you you can't combine the love for someone with the hatred that you would have towards their behavior or their sin. It just doesn't work. It would be as if we took this big rock and said, you know, I love you, man, but, oh, I hate your sin. Boom. You know, when, we're, when, we, when we talk about loving the sinner and hating the sin, it's, it can be an affront, actually, to our conversations. And so when we use that expression like that, it's not loving. It can be an offense. It's like hitting somebody with the fact that, you know, there's something about them that you hate, and, and they have difficulty separating those things. You know, the second thing, the second problem with love the sinner and hate the sin is that it elevates you above others. You know, I love you, but I hate your sin separates us from their condition. And so it's as if, hey, there's something wrong there. I don't have that problem, but man, I hate that about you. And so it separates us from the condition that they are in. God does hate sin. That's, that's true. But you know what else? He hates our sin as much as he hates the sin of others, right? We're all in the same boat. We have a sin problem in every single one of us. Is uh, has to deal with that sin problem that we're facing. We're on the same boat, you know. If you brought a uh, Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me for a moment to uh, Romans, uh, chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, uh, Paul is writing. He he talks about beginning in or in chapter three rather. In Romans chapter three, Paul is writing. He's talking about the fact that God is perfect. He's talking about the righteousness and the perfection of God. And he says that God is perfect, and and we are not, not one of us. And he would go on to say that, but being fully God and, and fully human, as a result of that, Jesus was perfect. And as a result, we can be made righteous before God through faith in him. And so when we get down to uh, chapter 3, we're, we're talking about the righteousness of God, the sin problem that we all uh, face and it says, beginning of verse 9, he's talking about the fact that, you know, what then? Are, are we Jews? Are we any, any better off than anybody else? We're we're God's chosen people, as a result of that, are, are we any better off than they are? He says, no, not at all, verse 9. For we have already uh, charged, already charged that, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, verse 10. None is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. According to Psalm 14, all the way of peace have not been known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And verse 19 says, now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth might be stopped, and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For the works of the law, uh, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Through the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe is where our hope lies. There is no distinction among us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're all justified by his grace. It's a gift, the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation, a substitute by his blood, for our sin to be received by our faith. All have sinned, bless our little hearts. We have all sinned, and every single one of us falls short. Of the glory of God. God hates sin for the simple reason that that sin is what separates us from him. God hates sin. Isaiah 59 2 says, our iniquities have made a, a separation between us and God, and in our sins, he has hidden his face from us so that we cannot hear his voice. Our sin has separated us from God, and he hates our sin because of that. In James 4, 4 it's, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is to be an enemy with God? We have to choose whether we're going to be, you know, citizens of this world or whether we're going to be citizens of heaven. And if we choose the world, then we're enemies of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God hates sin. And as a result of that, we should too. First Thessalonians 5, it says that we're all children of the light and, and children of the day. You are children of the light. You are children of the day. We are not of the light. We are not of the darkness. And we should separate ourselves from that. Those two can't exist. God hates our sin, and we should hate that as well. We should put distance between us and the sin that so easily can entangle us and trap us. We should flee from sin. We should not only hate sin, we should flee from it. In Genesis chapter 39, I, it's one of, my, one of my favorite stories about when you think about what it means to flee from sin. We've got Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and, and so Joseph has found favor, um, and uh, his, his wife uh, finds him very attractive. And in, in Genesis chapter 39, beginning of verse 6, it says that Joseph was a handsome man in the form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast eyes on Jehovah's, Joseph, and, and, and she said, you know, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, he has no concern about anything in this house, and he has put everything in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he lacked anyth- and kept anything from me, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her, and, and, he went, and she wanted him to, to lie beside her and to be with her. One day, when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men were there, first warning, don't be by yourself. But one day, when he went into the house to do some work, none of the men were there in the house, and she caught him by the garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. He fled that sin and that temptation. He didn't entertain it. He, he got out. You know, God hates sin. We should distance ourselves from it. We should flee from it. You know, Potiphar's wife, Caught him by the garment and said, Lie with me, but he left it in her hand and took off. He fled and got out of the house. And so that's the same attitude that we should have when it comes to sin. You know, we need to separate ourselves from it. God hates it. We don't like it. We need to separate ourselves from it. We need to flee from it. And we should also confront it. We need to confront sin when it occurs. Matthew chapter 18, talking about. When somebody sins against us, you know, if they brought sins against you in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. Is that uncomfortable? It can be. You know, but we're to confront sin when it comes up. If somebody sins against you, go and tell them your fault. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've won them over. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen then to them, then, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we are to confront sin around us as well. God hates it. We're to avoid it. We're to flee from it and we're to confront it when it raises its head around us. God hates sin. We should flee. We should confront and we should also confess our sin. Sin is one of those things that has implications and we need to get rid of it. It interferes with our ability to have a relationship with God. It interferes with our ability to have relationships with others. Sin will destroy the body of Christ, his church. We've got to deal with it in a healthy way. And it starts by confessing it as well. And so we need to confess our sin. In First John, John's writing, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we are to flee. We're to hate it. We're to flee from it. We're to confront it, and then we should confess it as well. We need to confess our sin. You know, in John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in the darkness, then we're liars. We're not practicing the truth. But I love this what he says in the next, uh, next verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's verse 9. And so in verse 9, that's, what, that's, a, that's a beautiful glimpse of the grace that God extends to us in the midst of this terrible topic. That we all have to talk about, that we all have to deal with. And so you need to write that down. First John 1 9. Don't write down 1 6. (laughs) Because 1 John 1 9, that is a great passage. It's one of those passages that just kind of like it helps you to catch your breath in the midst of the mess. You know, no matter how bad things are going, it just it, it helps you to understand that God is faithful. God is faithful. God offers us forgiveness. God cleanses us from unrighteousness. And so it just enables us to to catch our breath and to experience the fullness of God's grace in the midst of having to talk about a subject that we typically don't like to talk about doing. I can remember when I first became a Christ follower, just kind of having to think through, you know, the implications of my relationship with Christ and, you know, experiencing that for the first time, just never feeling like you're you're good enough. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, that you're just not good enough before God. Or if you think about, you know, being around other people, maybe you've never felt good enough to be, you know, part of a local church, or maybe you've just never felt good to, you know, you know like, you're, like you could get baptized, you could get in a small group. There's so many things that hold us back. But one of the things that hold us back is just the inability to, to accept our condition and to be able to confess our sins. And when we do that, it's so freeing. And we do that right before God. You know, one of the things that um, Joseph had said to Potiphar's wife, you know, it was interesting because he said, against God is the one that I'm going to sin. That's the same thing that David said when Jonathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. God against you, I have sinned. And so when we come before a holy God, we're confessing our sin before him. And when we confess that, he's faithful and he's righteous and he's just, and he forgives us our sins and cleanses us. And our relationship with him is restored. And then we move out concentric circles and we we confess and we apologize to those around us. I remember when I first made my faith commitment, I like go, oh, I was experienced the freedom and I got home and I told I told my wife, hey, I'm forgiven for all my sins. And she said, Okay, well you and I gotta talk about some stuff. <laughs> because we, we we sin against other people as well. And so the confession before God is critically important if we're going to be able to experience that love and that hope and the forgiveness and and then that relationship begins to extend out to the relationship the relationships around us as we begin to restore and rebuild our relationships as God originally intended. You know, we confess our sins, and so we're to, we're to, we're to hate sin like God does. We're to, we're to flee from it. We're to confront it, and we're to confess it, and it's there that we're able to find the forgiveness that we all desperately uh, need. You know, God hates sin, but we also know that God loves sinners, and those are two very different statements They're both true, but they are independent statements. In uh, Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Let me read this for you. Paul is writing, he's talking about the weakness that we have, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. No one's going to scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God hates sin, but but he loves sinners. And he, that expression of that love is reflected in the fact that he sent his son for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died on our behalf. You know, the first part of this verse shows us that God's love is not, conditional based on our goodness or our worthiness or anything about us god shows his love in this way while we're still messed up christ died for us and it's an unconditional gift you know, it doesn't matter what we've done sometimes we have a tendency to say well at least i'm not that bad or i haven't done that god forgives anybody that places their faith in Christ for whatever they've done. That forgiveness is unconditional. It's not based on our worthiness, and it's certainly not based on how we compare sins to one another. The first part of this verse shows us that God's love is not conditional. And then the second part of the verse shows us how we can experience the, the forgiveness that God offers. The verse shows us that, we can, that he demonstrated his love to us that through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness. God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God hates sin, but he loves the sinners. And that is good news, but those are two independent expressions. That act of love was the ultimate expression of God's grace and his mercy, and it made a way for us to be able to have a relationship with him. God hates sin, but he loves sinners. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching on the uh, Mount of Olives. And uh, there's this division among the people. And uh, he's gone up to teaching. In the Beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, They had all gone to their own houses, but Jesus had went up to the Mount of Olives. He did this early in the morning. And he came to the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they placed her in, his, in their midst. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. We didn't just hear about it. We, we caught her. And she's in the middle of this crowd. Now, in the law of Moses, they said to him, it has commanded us that we are to stone her. What do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And so Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said, which among you is without sin? Let him be first to cast a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up to her and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. You know, after verse 6, the Pharisees want to know, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? They said this to test him. Because the law was, if somebody gets caught in adultery, they get get stoned. And so they're testing Jesus to see whether he's going to uphold the law. Because if he doesn't uphold the law, they got him wait a second, I thought you were here to come to the fulfillment of the law. I thought you knew what the law said. So the test was that if he said to, to that he didn't say to stone her, that he wasn't going to uphold the law. And the, and the second part of that test, uh, if he doesn't stone her, then, then he's no friend of sinners because that's what Jesus's reputation has been up to this point, that he's been hanging around the t- sinners and the tax collectors. He's become a friend of sinners In Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7, Jesus is described as a friend of sinners. And so if he says, well, I'm a friend of sinners, we're not going to stone her, then they got him on that. Well, he's no friend of, if if he stones her, he's no friend of sinners. And if he doesn't stone her, then he's not upholding the law. And so waiting to see what he does. And she's sitting in the middle. And what he does is he crouches down and he writes something something on the ground. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out what that is. (laughs) I want to know. <laughs> I've searched and searched. It's all speculation. Nobody knows where he rode on the ground. But whatever it was, it got their attention. Their attention left the woman and was on Jesus and his writing. And whatever he said, it was enough to have them leave one by one. And it was the oldest ones that left first. I found that was that was interesting. You know, there's some wisdom that comes from having a walk with Christ. There's some wisdom from being, you know, having a relationship with God over a period of time. And I can't help but think that whatever he wrote, the people that had been around it the longest got it the quickest because it was the older ones that left. And it says one by one, they left until Jesus was standing there with her by himself. And so this unruly crowd that had thrown this adulterous woman into the middle of the circle to stone her to death and to test Jesus is now gone. And so their attention has shifted from the woman to Jesus and whatever he wrote. Isn't that great? That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and it turns his father's attention from us to himself. You know, there is no righteousness in us except for that that we have through Christ. And Jesus, just like with this adulterous woman, takes their eyes off of the woman and places it on him. You know, in uh, verses 6 and 7, that test was something that was designed to get him. And and then the tension of trying to get Jesus and focusing on the woman, I, I don't want you to miss what happens with the reality of him taking that sin upon himself because that's what happens at the cross. That same thing happens to each and every one of us. It'd be like somebody walking up and said, Man, you were you were speeding or you did this, you did that, or you know, think about something that's in your life that's holding you back. You know, sin will hold you back if you don't confess it. But once you confess it, Jesus takes it on himself. And 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 the attention moves from us to who Jesus is. And it's not cheap grace. You know, this is not cheap grace. Jesus gave his life so that the penalty for our sin could be taken away, and we could experience that love and that forgiveness. And there's an expectation that that gift is going to change us. You know, Jesus said to the woman, he bent down, and he wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they all walked away one by one, beginning with the other ones. And he was left alone with the woman standing before him. He said, woman, where did they go? Is there anyone there to condemn you? She said, Not one. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now, go from now on and what? And sin no more. And so, God's grace, His forgiveness, everything that we experience because of our relationship with Christ should transform us. Our relationship with Christ is transforming. And so God hates sin, but out of his love for us, we're able to experience the forgiveness that is ours through Christ, and that changes us. You know, God hates sin, but he also loves us enough that he sent his son into the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. it is true that God does hate sin, but he loves sinners. If God loved us, we should also love one another. And so as a result of this love that God has for us, it motivates us to live out changed lives and have a relationship with one another that's affected by who we are in Christ. And so that love is contagious. And so it's not just about the fact that God hates sin, but that his love for us changes us and it influences all of our relationships. It it affects our relationships with him. It it affects our relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our family. Coworkers with our neighbors and ultimately to the world. You know, because God loved us, we are to love one another. And so that love is, is life transforming. It should change us. There should be something different about us. You know, God does hate sin, that's true. But God loves sinners, and that's the great news. That's the good news. That even though we're in this mess, that because of who we are in Christ. We can experience that love and that forgiveness. Those are two independent statements. They're both true. But when we use them incorrectly, they can harm relationships. And so when we say to somebody, you know, we hate that sin, but God loves you, those, they, they, they gate each other. But if we can separate the reality of those two statements being true, when we understand that, when we use them incorrectly, they're a harm to relationship. But when used correctly, they have the power to transform our lives our lives and those around us. And so those are two true statements that we need to be careful with how we use them. And so when it comes to the reality that we are to hate sin but love sinners, what do we do with that statement? Well, if you're watching the video for your study next week, in the the study, I think one of the suggestions that he makes that I agree with was we just take the word and out. It's just two independent statements. God hates sin and God loves sinners. And we work with those two things independently. We don't combine them in our relationships. We figure out how we can come alongside others and, and point them to the reality of who Jesus is and what it means to have a relationship. And so how do we respond to you know, loving the sinner and hate the sin? And the first way we do that is we, we recognize our need for Jesus. We recognize our need for Jesus. In First John 1, It says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You know, the conversations that I've had just recently went like this. You know, what I believe and what I'm doing is okay. Everybody I've talked to says it's okay. Besides, God loves me. He loves everyone because we're all his children. The problem with that is, is that it's not true. Well, it's half true. God does love everyone, but to all those who receive him, who believed in his name, those he gives the right to become children of God. And so it's a true statement that God does love the world. He loved it enough to send his son into it. But for those that call on his name, those that have placed their faith in him, those who have received him, those who have a relationship with him, he gives the right to become children of God. And so there's a difference between the love that God has for us and our ability to experience that love as as one of his children. And so hating sin and loving the sinner begins with our understanding of our need for a relationship with Christ. That's the first priority. We've got to understand that without Christ, we're 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 left to our own vices. You know, responding to that reality of Hating, hating sin and loving sinners starts with our understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And we have to help people to understand what Christ accomplished for them so that we can move them over to understanding the forgiveness that is theirs. We don't just confront the sin. I mean, we can. I mean, sometimes we have to confront that. But relationally, we have to come alongside people. We try it one-on-one first. And if that doesn't work, then we have to take it to three. And if that doesn't work, it gets bigger. But the goal is to try to relationally help Others to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and experience the forgiveness and the freedom that comes with that. And so we have to recognize our need for Jesus Christ if we're going to respond to that uh, trite statement uh, correctly. How do we respond to love the sinner and hate the sin? We also need to evaluate our own hearts and our own motivations whenever we think about how to have a conversation with somebody. In Matthew 7, you know, why do you... why do you see, the, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? <laughs> and so before we, before we go to talk to somebody else, before we talk about the fact that, hey, God loves you, but he hates your sin, you better make sure you don't have a big old log hanging out of your head, <laughs> right? So why are you looking at that speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice that big old log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log hanging out of your head, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, then you're going to be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so if we're going to help others to understand that God hates their sin, but he loves them, we have to first evaluate our own lives so we don't come off as a bunch of hypocrites. And that's one of the challenges that that we face when we're engaging a culture. I have never had a conversation with somebody culturally that doesn't throw something back in my face of something that they've seen in, 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 in another believer. We're in a church, and I have to say, you know, you're right, but, you know, well, we're all sinners. You know, we can't be hypocrites, and if we're going to help people to genuinely understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and understand the forgiveness, if we're going to help people understand the fullness of life that is theirs, it starts by understanding, first of all, what a relationship with Christ is, and then second of all, we have to evaluate our own motives and our own lives and our own hearts before we confront those things. We can't just throw it off on a trite statement and go, well, God loves us, loves the sinner and hates the sin. We have to evaluate our own hearts, our own motives. And so how do we respond to the sinner? We respond to uh, the fact that he hates sin by speaking the truth in love. We have to speak truth. You know, we do speak truth. In Ephesians 4, it says we need to speak the truth, what? In love. And so it's not just about confronting, you know, someone's sin. It's not just about saying what needs to be said, but saying it in a way that it's in love, that we're grown up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so I know many times this passage gets used with regard to directly confronting sin. You know, we're need to we going to confront somebody. We need to speak the truth in love. But it's really talking about not just an individual, but who we are together is the body of Christ. You see, we're not just confronting an individual. We're not just being confronted. We're not just talking to somebody individually. What we're talking about here, the implications are broader than that. It's not just about me or about you. It's about us. And so Paul is writing the uh, church in Ephesus, telling that you guys need to encourage one another. You need to speak the truth and love to each other so that we can all grow up in, in, in unity and in health. And so when we sharpen each other, the church is made healthy. And so the relationships that we have with one another as we encourage one another, as we pray for one another, as we confess to one another, those things make those individual relationships stronger, but they also strengthen the church. And all you have to do is have one or two relationships go sideways in a church that can destroy the whole work. And so it's important that we think about from a church-wide perspective, what does it mean to sharpen and encourage one another? It's really important for us as a church to think about what does it mean that God hates sin, but he loves sinners. How does that affect our ministry? We can't just throw that trite statement around. We need to make sure that we understand what it means to encourage one another and help one another grow as we speak the truth and love to one another so that the whole body can be joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped and we're built up and we're made stronger until we all achieve the unity of peace. You know, rather than seeing ourselves and trying to love others on the other side of the sin problem, you know, we should love others. You know, love the sinner and, and hate the sin, if we use that incorrectly, they just they, they negate each other. You know, we, we end up just hitting people with these love bombs, and, and that's, not a, that's not a healthy way to look at what this statement really means. A better way to look at it is, hey, we are in this boat together, and we're sharpening and encouraging one another, and together we're looking to Christ to build us up, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to transform our lives. And so this trite statement is, it's not just about confronting somebody, but about coming alongside of others and having others coming alongside of us so that we can encourage one another and grow until we can accomplish all that God has for us together as we keep our eyes on him. That's one of the things that's the beautiful picture of what Jesus does with the adulterous woman. He takes everybody's eyes off of her and places it on him. And when we can encourage one another to do that in our own lives, then we will be all the better for it. We will sharpen one another. The church will be strengthened and we'll be able to accomplish what God has for us. We should love others. We should hate sin and we should keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's the message that we've been entrusted with. In your, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so, in our it was funny because we were talking this morning before the service, and we were talking about how it, what it's like to to share our faith with others. And we're coming off the series, we're talking about what God's will is, and we're looking at hey, there's a there's a cost associated with following Jesus, right? You know, sometimes it puts us into positions where things get a little dangerous. You know, it might it might cost us. It's going to cost us in the maybe some relationships with with our friends. And when I became a Christ follower, within three months. I had all new friends, <laughs> and so I'm, your relationship with Christ is going to cost you in your relationships. It might cost you in your family. it might cost you as you think about what it means to honor God with your finances. It might cost you with regard to missions i mean somebody 's got to go into nepal somebody 's got to go somebody 's got to go into these areas that have never heard the, the gospel and, and they might risk their lives there 's a cost associated with following christ, and when we 're sharing with that with other people and we 're sharing our faith. You know, we came to the conclusion that's probably not where we want to start. (laughs) I want to encourage you uh, to uh, enter into a relationship with Christ today, but it's going to cost you everything. It's true, but we need to enter into these conversations with gentleness and respect, ultimately pointing them to the reality of where our hope lies. It's not in this earth, but in heaven. Ultimately, everything that we do in this life is pointing us to where we're going to spend the next. And so as much Fun as we're having today, this life is temporary. We are going to spend eternity somewhere. And God does hate sin, and he does love sinners, and he offers a solution. And, and so we need to reconcile that in our minds uh, today. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, as you think about what it means to, you know, hate sin and love others, you know, our response to that is we need to understand our own need for a relationship with Christ. We need to evaluate our own hearts, and our own motivation, and we do need to speak the truth and love, but we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ as he leads and guides and directs our paths. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not sure, if you're thinking, hey, I, I, I want to experience that forgiveness, then we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. Um, we have a, uh, we have two people that have, have made faith commitments are getting baptized, and uh, we have a baptism service coming up, and we'd love to celebrate with you the decision to to cross that line of faith and just be able to say, hey, today I'm a child of God. I've experienced God's love, but I want to be a child, and if that's where you are today, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. And maybe maybe you've made a faith commitment, and you're, and you're working through you know, a relationship in your own life, and you, you just need some help trying to think through, hey, how can I continue to grow in my faith and how can, how can I have others come alongside me to encourage me and help me to grow in my faith? Our small groups are, are, are halfway through this material. If you're not in one, you want to try one, you can get in one. If you, if you don't feel like getting into a group, uh, then there's, we have other resources available to you um, to help you to be able to experience uh, that spiritual growth that we're talking through wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Whether you're trying to figure out how to connect with God, you know, uh, vertically and horizontally with others, whether you want to just grow in your faith, whether you're looking for being equipped for the ministry that God has for you, whether you want to think about what it means to live missionally, you know, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we'd love to be able to help you to be able to experience the fullness of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross and what that means uh, for your life. But you know, as we think about you know, these series, as we continue through this series, I think it's important for us to, whatever the statement is, to evaluate you know, how does that help us to engage with a lost, fallen, and broken world? And so, these statements, while they're, they're, um, I think they're important for us to look at individually, um, ultimately this series is about helping us to engage uh, with a lost and fallen, broken world. And it is, it's a collision. It's a collision between what we find in Scripture and the conversations that we're having um, out in our community. And I just pray that as we think about the effectiveness of our ministry and how we can help others in our community to come to experience the love that, that we've experienced through our relationship with Christ, that we would do it with gentleness and respect and uh, as we speak truth to those around us and so if you have any questions about anything we've talked about this morning i'd love the opportunity to talk with you so you've got that connection card i um, mean you can just write any questions that you might have on that if you're watching online uh, just uh, put a note in there uh, but we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that uh, but we hope you continue with us through this series we have uh, i think about three four more weeks left and so but if you have any questions along the way please let us know how we can help you uh, would you pray with me Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us today, and um, God, I thank you that, um, that you do love us. Every one of us, uh, every one of us needs um, that forgiveness that you offer us uh, through Christ. We know that this world is messed up. Our lives are messed up. The lives of the people around us are messed up. The whole thing's messed up, uh, but God, that you speak into that uh, when you sent your Son to the world, you know, to die on the cross for our sins. God, you give us hope. You give us the promise of new life. You give us life transformation. And I just am uh, excited about the opportunity that we have to be a part of what you uh, will accomplish in and through us together. But God, thank you for uh, the work that you've done for me. Uh, I just pray that uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ would be able to experience the fullness of what that means for them. God, as we seek to accomplish your plans and purposes for us, we commit this day to you, uh, for you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Please stand as we continue to worship this morning. Thank you this morning for joining us. I hope you take something away from either worship or the teaching that Pastor Rich has brought to us. As you leave from this place, just go in peace to love and serve our awesome God. We hope to see you next week. Thank you.